0: In our bulletins, we have those connection cards, and one of the things we often ask for in that connection card are comments about the service, and sometimes we get some, and I I, I must admit that not all of them are always positive. I'm tempted to, to read a few. In fact, I was tempted to read a couple from last week, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I, I do want you to know that I found a couple of comment cards that were turned in to the staff at Bridger Wilderness Area in Pinedale, Wyoming. Now, this is a beautiful place, a park-like place with grand vistas and hiking trails. But when people thought about what they wanted to see improved or what they felt about the place, these are some of the comments that were handed in. And I'll, I'll just share with them with you. The trails need to be wider so people can walk while holding hands. Please avoid trails that go uphill. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of bugs and spiders. Chairlifts need to be in some places so we can get to wonderful views without having to hike them. There are too many rocks along the mountain trail. My favorite. A small deer came into my camp and stole much of my food. I need to be reimbursed. Please call. And then they left their number. You know, our culture has trained us to be professional consumers. We are told as a a customer to be satisfied or look elsewhere. The customer is always right. So if my steak isn't done just so, I send it back. If I don't like the deal I'm getting, I'll demand to talk to the manager. If my internet speed is too slow, I just switch companies. And let's be honest, that consumer mentality has found its way into the church in a big way, big time. And so we often, without even really reflecting on this deeply, we often end up asking ourselves questions like, are are my needs being met in the church? Am I being fed? Are my preferences being catered to? What's in it for me? Well, this morning, uh, we're going to change some things around here, and, and I just want to use this video as the announcement for it. So let's watch this.
1: Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I don't know who sets the worship center temperature, but why does it have to be so cold? Why do you have to be so right? Heated chairs are now being installed. This one wants a small church. But I'm afraid if it's too small, they're gonna make me volunteer like crazy. And I don't stack chairs, do I? Makes total sense. Join now and we'll let you decide the size of our church. We're millennials, and we want a church that... Say no more. Any requests you have will be granted immediately. (laughs) Parking is horrible. It takes me almost six minutes to get from my car to the building. It's going to take me six seconds to tell you a valet service is on the way. My pastor's preaching? It's all over the map. I say, oh, I don't know, stick with the books of the Bible. We should be only Exodus Okay, next week we start John chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll even start pronouncing that word the way you said it. Hey, I'd like this sermon to be no longer than 30 minutes. How does 15 minutes sound? Hey, anybody willing to go 15 should be willing to go to 10. <laughs> you drive a hard bargain, but from now on, five-minute sermons it is. <laughs> now you're talking. Me, church, where it's all about you.
0: So, so what do you think? You in or uh, you know, yeah, you know. hey, that five-minute thing that starts maybe next week. It's not not this week, okay? I just wanted you to know that. Think about what happens here in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Jesus has gathered his disciples for the Passover festival, a Passover meal. And of course, if you, if you know your, your Bible, you know that the Passover commemorates the Exodus story of God, delivering the people of Israel from their bondage to slavery in Egypt, and then uh, propelling them to The Promised Land. But isn't it interesting that this Jesus then uses this meal about freedom from being slaves to teaching his disciples that he wants them to become servants? So John begins Jesus knew that his hour had come. In less than 24 hours, Jesus would give his life on the cross for you and for me. He would pay the price of my sin, freeing me from the bondage of sin and giving me the freedom to go to the promised land of heaven. Having loved his own, John says, he loved them to the end. Some of your translations might read, he showed them the full extent of his love. So the evening begins. All of the disciples have entered the room, Judas Iscariot included. Jesus, uh, the Bible says, knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, at this moment knows fully that he is in control. He is absolute authority. All authority on heaven and on earth, all over the universe, has been placed by the Father on His shoulders. He is the one. And that brings me to my first question this morning. This is the thing I want you to wrestle with. When you are the it person, when you are the person in the room who has the most popularity, the most authority, what are you going to do? When you are the more important, more influential, the the richer, the better looking, the smarter than, when you have it all and you are that person in the room, what are you going to do? Because I want you to see what Jesus did. Knowing that he had all authority and power, Jesus rose from supper, he laid aside those outer garments. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. He poured some water into a basin and then he knelt down and began to wash disciples' feet and to wipe them with that towel that he had put around his waist. Jesus lays all of that down. All that authority he he leverages for the good of those in the room and for the good of those in the world. You know when when someone comes to your house you do certain things that are protocols for hospitality. You, you all know what this is like. You have a guest come over and, and you say to them something like may I have your coat? May I may I take your purse? May I may I have your man bag? I'm, I'm not judging here. I'm just saying whatever it is, could I get you something to drink? And of course, you have them for dinner, and so you've been maybe cooking for hours, you've dusted, you've, you've swept the floor, and then you end up eating off of plates that you never eat from or, or take out silverware that you've hidden away somewhere. And so suddenly you find yourself doing things that you wouldn't normally do. You turn into a person that you aren't normally because you are waiting on them. And sometimes we even say it, we're serving them hand and foot. But in the first century Israel, and you know this, it was customary to have the person on the lowest ring of the pecking order to wash the guest's feet. Now, I I just must admit here, there are a lot of things that I'm willing to do. I like to think of myself as a humble person. I'm proud of that. I shouldn't probably say it that way, right? But I do not like feet. And I don't know if I'm alone here, but my wife will tell you there are few things that are more viscerally averse to me than feet. I don't know if I have a phobia of some sort, but to me, they're just nasty. And of course, in that day... They would have been wearing flimsy sandals outside. And, and you know, if you've, you've had kids grow up in your home, you know what this is like when they're outside all day and they're flip-flops. And they've been playing in the grass and the dirt and all. When they come in, their feet are just absolutely a mess. So you get a sense of what that would look like here. But, of course, you've got to add an element, don't you, that maybe even our kids don't experience. Because in those days, the transportation on the roads involved donkeys and camels and and chickens and whatever. And so there were gifts that they could leave on the road and there were elements involved with that. So these feet were especially nasty, smelly, dirty. So these 13 men enter the room. This uh, dinner is recorded in each of the Gospels from uh, slightly different perspectives. And if you know your Bible, you know that in Luke 22, Luke tells us that they had just been arguing who was the greatest among them. And some of the disciples would not have been thinking about wanting to wash their brother's feet. They would have instead been trying to to position themselves. Well, I'm the important one. I'm the influential one. They were all trying to get to the top. They were all trying to look good in front of everyone else to be influential and great. They didn't want to touch that basin with a 10-foot pole. But Jesus takes off his garment like a servant, and he begins to wash their dirty feet. And if you think about it, we shouldn't be surprised. In Jesus' teaching, he had said during his ministry, I did not come to be served, but to serve. You want to be the first? Then you need to be the last. The greatest among you will be the the best servant in your midst. But I would have you notice this. That the disciples in that moment were shocked by Jesus' humility. They were stunned that Jesus would stoop to this level. And that causes me to ask the second question of the day. When was the last time someone was stunned by your humility? When was the last time you shed your sense of self-importance in such a way that that sense of power or whatever it was so that so that it would shock the people around you when was the last time someone was shocked by your willingness to serve I don't mind telling you there was a day when I was a, a pretty good football player it was a long time ago but In junior high, we have to go back, like I say, a long time ago, I was an offensive and defensive lineman, played both sides of the ball. And I remember one particular game, uh, I think it was in my eighth grade year, I was playing Elgin, which was our rival at the time at North Union. And my cousin was the center of the opposing team. So we were, I was nose guard, he was the center, we were lined up against each other. And the truth is, and this is the hospital truth again and again I knocked him down and caused havoc in that backfield it was just one of the delights of my life and all that, that they couldn't move the ball whatsoever and so both my seventh and eighth grade years I was named the team's MVP and a, a lineman for goodness sake won the wildcat award both years well years later Mary and I would go to my high school reunions And guys would come up to her, and they would tell her stories of how much Jeff was an animal on that gridiron. Now, they were drunk, of course, but they were also telling true stories. But by the time I became a freshman in high school, something changed. I stopped growing, and they didn't. They started getting a whole lot taller than I was, a whole lot bigger, a whole lot stronger. And so I'll never forget one practice my freshman year, I got hit especially hard. I could not see for a few moments. I had cracked my uh, uh, collarbone, my shoulder had been separated. And after that, I never played football again. Not because I couldn't, but because I realized I wasn't going to be the top dog anymore and it wasn't near as much fun. You see, my point is, we hate going from the top to the bottom. Everything within us says, we want to be the one being served. We want to be the one who is being waited upon. We like the notoriety, the power. We want to be the king of the hill. And yet, Philippians 2.3 reminds us, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. In Jesus, the highest became the lowest. In Jesus, the creator serves the creation. In Jesus, the one who had everything made himself nothing. The king of kings died on a hill called Mount Calvary, and he forever changed, didn't he, what it meant to be king of the hill. Now this makes Peter terribly uncomfortable. In fact, if if Jesus were here in this room, and he is, but let's say he's right here in physical form and he comes and he begins to take off those outer garments. If Jesus was in this room right now and he picks up some water and begins to start in the front row, beginning to wash someone's feet, what do you think would happen in this room right now? Just just be honest. We're in church. A lot of you would head for the exit. I mean, no way. Because that's what happens anytime in church when we start to get convicted and we get uncomfortable. Well, this is too much, pastor. This, this goes too far. I, I don't like this. This is too intimate. And so we get up and we leave. But don't. Don't leave. Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand, but you will later. There, there's something greater going on here. Peter, for you have to be a part of me. You have to let me wash you, Jesus says. The Apostle Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but you, speaking to the church, you were washed. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that reminds us this morning, we need to hear this again and again. Every one of us needs to be washed in Jesus Christ. It is the condition of salvation. For us to be saved, we have to be washed. This passage tells us he loved them to the end. This is about God's love. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he washed us of the guilt of our sin. He, he took my place. He took your place. And so when the angel came to Mary to announce that she would have a baby, Mary, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. He will save the people from their sins. We have been washed if we are believers. John three sixteen reminds us, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so that means again this morning that all the ugliness of my past, all the stuff I trapes in onto the, into the church even, the disgraces of my life, all the manure and the junk of my past, he takes away, he cleanses it. I have to wash you, Peter. Trust me. And Peter says, then wash all of me. Jesus says if you've had a bath, you don't need to be washed like that again. I think what Jesus is saying is, Peter, once I've washed you, you are clean. But Peter, the world is a dirty place and your feet will get dirty. And I don't know about you, but when I'm out in the world and I get exposed to things and I get tested and sometimes I don't always pass the test, Reminds me, man, do I need to come to this place, in this place, in this moment, in this church where I can confess my sins and be renewed in grace and, and, and be reminded of God's cleansing in my heart and life where he washes me once more. I hope you've experienced that even today. We need the church. We need to come. We need to be together. We need to hear the gospel. That Jesus saves us because he washes us. But let me say this. Jesus doesn't leave us there. And if you miss this, you miss the full impact of salvation. Jesus says you are saved, you are washed for a purpose. If you are saved, Jesus says, you also ought to wash others' feet. For I have given you an example. That you also should do as I have done to you. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And that brings us really to this morning's second value, the core value of our church. I told you last week that as a church, our heart should beat this way, that, that found people, find people. We talked about that, but I want to tell you something else that has to be a part of who we are because of Jesus. Saved people serve people saved people will serve people and by the way this is a blessing you know what uh, humbles me about this story Jesus washed every one of those disciples feet he not only washed Peter's feet by the way what would Peter do just a few hours he denied Jesus three times and Jesus knew that And by the way, he also washed Judas Iscariot's feet. In just minutes, Judas would leave the room and betray Jesus and have him arrested. And you know what that tells me? Listen, if we are going to truly follow Jesus' example and serve people the way he serves people, then we have to serve them where they're at, not where we'd like them to be. We have to serve people where they're at and not where we'd like them to be. Listen to me here. I I, I want to tell you something that I've been wrestling with even this week. The blessing, Jesus says, comes not because their lives will even change. Maybe their lives will change, maybe they won't. That is not the blessing. You know what the blessing is? The blessing is is when I serve, I become more like Jesus. I look more like Jesus. I am becoming more like Jesus. The blessing comes when we serve, we are changed Gordon MacDonald said it brilliantly this way. He said, You can tell whether or not you're becoming a servant by how you act when people treat you like one. Did you hear that? You can tell whether or not you're truly becoming a servant by how you react when someone treats you like one. Here's what I know. I am asking everyone in this room, young and old, to consider how are you serving in our church? Because my dream and my hope is is that we will rise up and everyone who is listening to my voice will be able to say, this is the call of God in my life. This is the example I'm going to follow to serve Jesus And by the way, if you need some help identifying what that is, what it is that that will look like in your life, sit down with one of the pastoral staff. We would love to talk to you about that. But what's your spiritual gift? Let's talk about spiritual gifts. Let's talk about the passion in your heart. What, what, What gets you excited? But here's the thing, and this is what I've become more and more aware of as I've gotten further into ministry, Some of you tried to serve in the past. Maybe it was in the church, this church, or maybe it was in another church. And it didn't go so well. You got hurt. Someone criticized you, or someone didn't acknowledge the work you've done or or someone didn't say thank you or maybe they even took the credit or you saw the hypocrisy and it got ugly or it got political churches are filled with people who today stepped out to serve but their feet got stepped on i get it jesus served and he got crucified So my best advice to you is when you serve, lower your expectations of what you think others should do and be. We we can't be surprised when people don't follow our expectations and our sense of, of rules and how we think they should be. We should serve them anyway. And sometimes that's not so glorious. And sometimes it's messy, and sometimes it stinks. Sometimes we think, I'll never get credit for this. Yeah. But we serve them anyway. Why? Because in doing so, something is happening in me. And that's the blessing. You notice here in Scripture, we never see Jesus washed all their feet except for Judas. Or Jesus served everybody except for those people. I found it a little bit inspirational. Ken Keith in 1968 wrote the 10 Paradoxical Commandments. And I thought I'd just share them briefly. Mother Teresa had these hanging on her wall until the day she died. And they read this way. I think they're true. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them Anyway. If you do good, good people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you, are unsu- or if you are successful, you win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable... Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men with the smallest minds. You think big anyway. People favor underdogs but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend your years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway people really need help but may attack you if you do help them help people anyway give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth give the world the best you have anyway and i know it some of you tried to serve and you got hurt and you got stepped on and maybe you've just been in a season where you backed away from the church And by the way, if it was something I did or something that the church did as a congregation in some sense, I I want to apologize, and maybe we need to talk about that. Or maybe it was a different church, and you're here, but, but you haven't decided to get involved because, well, it's too risky. You might get hurt. Well, let me say it this way. If we follow the example of Jesus wholeheartedly, you absolutely will get hurt if you choose to serve. People will disappoint you. But Jesus says something changes and it turns out the blessing is I'm the one who changed because saved people, they serve people. And Jesus served you by giving his life, washing you free from the guilt of sin, and so, in recognition of that, out of our love for him, we get to serve others. Can I just share a, a real quick story with you? And I, this, I didn't write this down, but I, I've been really excited about this. Some of you were so gracious, so kind, so sweet in giving some extra funds so that we could purchase a car for a family in our church. We were able to do that and I had some excess funds because of that, your generosity was just amazing. And so uh, this week I became aware of another family, a Ukrainian family, they had refugee status. they come over from Ukraine, moved to Cleveland. They had a sponsor, but the sponsor just kind of went AWOL on them. And so now they're in a place in Parma, no furniture, no car in order to work. They need transportation and Lilia Pepsin in our church called me up and said pastor is there anything we can do they they need some furniture and we're working on that and they need a car and I began to think and I began to pray and I realized well wait a second my son Caleb just uh, bought a, a used car um, and and so his car which is by the way my name so it's my car uh, is uh, is available and it needed a lot of work but because of that, I said, well, you know what, we can donate that car to the church, and then we have enough funds to pay someone else in the church to help get it fixed up, and we're going to be able to give this folk, uh, these folks a car too. So uh, we're becoming a regular car dealership here. And, uh, but isn't it exciting that out of your, because we just were overwhelmed, we had so much left, we're going to have enough to do this and help another family get their feet on the ground they don't speak a lick of English but we have Lilia who is Ukrainian and she's going to help us make this connection and I'm just praising the Lord that he's going to put this together so thank you and that's because this is the way this is what happens when things get rolling save people just find ways to, to serve people and God, uh, God cares about feet and he cares about cars and uh We're seeing him do that in our midst. Thank you for for your faithfulness. Let's pray together, and then Pastor Jason is going to come and lead us. Father, would you just teach us how to be more like you? And help us not to be surprised when we get hurt doing so. Lord, I pray in this room right now we would all be able to identify that one area where we are called to serve. Now there may be other opportunities for service and we should take them, but Lord, I pray that every one of us because of our love for you and a love for your church will seek that area out so that we can we can model who you were. That none of us are so high and mighty that we can't take off our garments pick up a basin and a towel and wash dirty feet because in that lord is the blessing because lo and behold through the power of your holy spirit we are becoming more and more like jesus lord form us in that holiness i pray i ask this in your holy name amen